Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm Dungeon Master Chris. And today we are returning to our Divine Spotlight series. This is our fourth episode in the series. Today we're going to talk about the God's Grumsh the god Bokob, and Chris, one of your special gods. Yes, the god Obris, the god of the Druids. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about those gods, and we'll share a lot of information on those gods, some adventure hooks, some things that we've added into our campaigns with those gods. But before we do that, we have some five-star reviews. But today, we have decided to finally... Go to our Stitcher reviews. Because, <laughs> because we have three of them. Because now we have enough to read. <laughs> Yay, Stitcher. I, the first time I heard of Stitcher, I was like, wow, this is a really cool idea. People probably use this. And I'm like, there are not many people that no, use Stitcher really. at all. But that doesn't make the people who do use it yeah, that's any true. less important. That's true. And so we are going to be reading our three Stitcher reviews. And if you don't have an iTunes account, hey, you can now know that you can go to Stitcher and we'll check it every month or so. I check it probably once a week. Okay, good yeah. for Yeah, so yeah. Chris will check it every single week and, and find out if you've written anything on Stitcher and know that we will read your Stitcher five-star reviews. So, the first one comes from Leapfrog Zero, which is from over 11 months ago, which when you're listening to this, it's even longer than that. So, over, <laughs> yeah. over a year ago, Leapfrog Zero wrote, great show, five stars. Have loved every episode so far. Glad you are finally on Stitcher. <laughs> oh, gosh. So good. <laughs> Thank you, Leapfrog Zero. We appreciate it. Uh, our second one comes from DM Shannon. And DM Shannon writes in, DM's block rolls nat 20 on podcast ability check. Uh, I am a newbie DM and am just about to start my first homebrew campaign set in a world overrun by the dead. I often listen to podcasts while driving in my car and putting Dungeon Master's Block into my bag of podcast holding, oh, yeah. a.k.a. cell phone, uh, <laughs> has given me a plus five bonus to knowledge DMing and a plus ten bonus to my campaign ideas ability check. Their meat section includes need-to-know information for new or experienced DMs. Their top ten section offers ideas to shamelessly pass off as my own with a successful <laughs> bluff check to your players, of course. Of course. Uh, and their story time section is both entertaining and, again, offers plenty of ideas to use in my own campaign. I highly recommend DM's Block for anybody who has taken the DM class or who is multi-classing <laughs> between DM and player. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so thank you, DM Shannon, for thank that. Thank you so much. Uh, that amazing review. Our last for now Stitch review comes from RoboSnake and is entitled An Excellent DM Show, Old School Perspective. And RoboSnake writes, If you like to sit behind the DM screen or want to learn how, this is an excellent podcast for you. Even as someone who's tossed the screen in terms of how I prefer to run games, <laughs> so they don't like the screen, I guess, I have always tons of cool ideas when I listen. It's funny, low on rants, and thick with content. DMs, listen up. So thank you, Robo Snake. <laughs> we should just rant about right now how we need more reviews on Stitcher. No, we should. No, no, no. <laughs> thank you, DM. Uh, thank you, Robo Snake. We really appreciate that review. Well, without any further ado, let us head into the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. 
some meat. Copy that! Fist the mouthful! No! Looks like meat back on the menu, boys! So the first god in the meat today we are going to focus on is the god Grumsh. And if you know anything about Grumsh, he is one ugly-looking dude. Yes, uh, he is. His pictures do not do him justice as they've changed over the years. There's some <laughs> pictures that portray him as a cyclops orc. And there Don't are like some, it. Yeah, Mitch. It's not an orc if it's, it's a cyclops. Yeah, yeah, and there's some that have him with one of his eyeballs cut out. And so... Uh, he is one of the gods that has been around for all editions, uh, from the first ever deities and demigods all the way through fourth edition and is mentioned in the fifth edition player's handbook as well. Uh, and so if you're looking for some sort of orc God to put into your world, he would probably be the one if you're going to, if you're going to go with standard deities of D and D he'll be there. But if you're trying to come up with your own pantheon, you can maybe glean some ideas from him uh, and figure out what you want to do for your orc god as well. And so Grumsh is what he's normally known by. He also has other titles as well. And his titles are One-Eye, He Who Never Sleeps, The One-Eyed God, and He Who Watches, which is kind of funny because he's only got one eyeball. His power level is greater. His alignment, he aligns in the realm of chaotic evil. His portfolio includes orcs, conquest, strength, survival, and territory. His domains are caverns, chaos, evil, hatred, orcs, strength, war. And as far as superiors, he has none as he is the superior in the orc pantheon. Grumsh appears usually as a powerful orc with only one eye. Uh, he is also... At a, least that's how he should that's appear. That's how he should appear, yes. Well, he appears with only one eye. Yeah, but... but <laughs> I mean, it's the stories behind how Grumsh lost his eye to Corellon are really sweet. And when you lose an eye, it doesn't just like slide to the middle of your face and like the scar disappears no you lose an eye you're not a a, you don't become a cyclops be able to have no chris that's silly don't don't Uh, (laughs) make up excuses Uh, bad artist (laughs) (laughs) he is also a figure of fury and driven cruelty grumps rules his pantheon with brute power and his favored weapon is the spear like you said, Mitch, Grumsh, he kind of considers himself supreme. Uh, oh, he considers yeah. every non-orc his enemy. Uh, so he's like, he's a purist at heart. If you're not an orc, you're nothing <laughs> to him. Uh, so he will do whatever he can to get rid of you. He holds special enmity for some. Grumsh hates Corellan. Which, Absolutely with good reason. <laughs> Guy uh, cut he, his eye out. Yeah, he or shot his eye out, depending on what story. Uh, and he spreads this, this hatred to all the Seldorine especially Sehanin Moonbow, who fooled the Orcish god many times to protect Corellan and her other family members. Grumsh also loathes Morden and the whole dwarven pantheon. I mean, it kind of goes, it's a two-way street there. <laughs> both, yeah, both, they both hate cor- each other. All the elf deities and the dwarf deities, yeah. they don't like the Neither orc like deities each other. either. Yeah. And- yeah. Yep, at least with classic D and D. Yep. One of Grumush's greatest enemies, which we were talking about this yeah. from like our normal understanding, yeah. because Tolkien is such a huge influence in the world. Uh, one of Grumush's greatest enemies is the goblin deity Maglubiet. Uh, which Grumsh, is weird. <laughs> yeah, which is weird because we don't normally think that and, way. And yeah, it's it's more weird because that's not the standard way that I think we think of in fantasy games and fantasy lore we think goblins and orcs are going to work together at the very least i always have this understanding that goblins work under orcs and orcs as the like they're taller quote-unquote brethren boss them around kick them around and 
make them do what they want. And so the fact that they're like, I mean, it says they're greatest of enemies, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. And something else interesting is like their, their battle between orcs and goblins don't, doesn't only exist in the world that you're playing in. It goes into the spiritual realm as well. Like it says, Grumpsch controls a mighty spirit army of orcs that continuously war with the spirits of goblins under McGlubbiot's control. And so these orcs, they claim that their spirits always defeat the goblins, but the goblins always reform to battle again. They always come back yet again to continue the fight against the orcs. So it's like it's one of those hatreds that go so deep that even after death, you can't get away from that hatred for each other. So it's really interesting. I kind of like it. I kind of like the breakaway from the standard what we think of as fantasy lore. In my world of Atos, goblins and orcs have that very Tolkien, they work together and orcs kind of boss goblins around. And so it kind of is the same with Grumsh and Mugglubiet. Yeah. Grumsh is more powerful than Mugglubiet in my world and bosses Mugglubiet around. But I kind of like the idea of orcs and goblins in a in the D&D world in a fantasy world fighting and having wars between each other yeah. and i mean that even opens the door to having a campaign that's centered around like oh you guys are playing orcs or you guys are playing goblins going up against orcs yeah. or goblins or whatever it is yeah. so well it's, it's one of those interesting things because if you're an orc if you're trying to do any sort of infiltration mission like if you're a human trying to infiltrate a human's place like you can do that fairly easily there's no way that if an or if you're an orc that you could pass as a goblin trying yeah. to sneak in somewhere <laughs> like you'll be found out right away so that's really interesting yeah and so then we move on to the dogma of of grumsh and grumsh's dogma is one that basically he teaches his followers that the strong are meant to rule uh, which he obviously would think that the orcs are the strong ones and they are meant to rule and that the weak are meant to be crushed their flesh rended and their blood Ugh, spilled gross. their blood their bodies killed or enslaved because purging the world of weakness is what it is best what is best <laughs> for all Slavery is usually only a brief reprieve before death. Runts and cripples are more than just a burden on society, but a sign of Grumpsh's disfavor, marked by their weakness for elimination. That which does not kill an orc only makes that orc stronger. That's kind of funny. I imagine, uh, what, what that is that song? song? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what you were you thinking about, you the, yeah, whatever. Well, yeah. <laughs> Can you just imagine yes. Grump singing that? <laughs> like the orc singing yeah. in their orc tongue. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly Orkson. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, you were thinking about Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> I was thinking it was a very, like, Spartan attitude oh, yeah, yeah, uh, too. to, to a, even a, an extreme for them. Like, yeah. But that's like the Spartans would just, like, toss their crippled babies and things like that and just kill them, which is horrifying and terrible. Well, but I imagine orcs doing the same kind of disgusting, terrible things yeah. in the sense of, Orcs who follow Grumsh. Yeah, well, and, and I, I thought, you know, before we started really looking at these gods, that Grumsh was basically only followed by orcs, which I think he is basically only followed by orcs. But there are also people that are non-evil followers of Grumsh, which is really weird and bizarre. Like, they're not orcs. I don't they, even know how that would work. They, I, yeah, yeah. They, they take a little bit more of a moderate approach to this. Uh, they don't automatically kill or enslave non-orcs, and even dwarves and elves may be spared if they are not automatically hostile. Uh, they do, however, seek to prove orcish superiority at every opportunity through contest of strength and martial skill. So it's one of those things that they may have just taken the ideologies of grumps is like the strong survive i mean we talked about like 
we got pretty deep into theology in our discussion, our epilogue night for yeah. the Shemesh campaign, but it's that sense of not everybody who follows a deity is going to follow that deity in the way that yeah. the deity would deem as that is the right path. Yeah. I think in, in the D and D world, sometimes it makes me raise an eyebrow because there is an extent to, if a God gets mad enough that a group of his followers aren't following his followings to the T that that God could just appear before them and just be like, Hey, <laughs> this is not the way that I yeah. want it to be. Or just like, you know, like stop their power. Yeah. If they're like some sort of paladin or cleric or something like that, and not grant them that power. If they're not following correctly. Well, and then so. there's a side of it too, that it's like, if you're a non evil follower, who's still kind of say doing these things, it's like, would Grumsh have nothing better to do than stop a few? Yeah. 25 or 30 people from doing this probably well and not. that's and that's where i think most followers would probably be able to get away with things i think you have to be pretty big on the radar for a god in a D campaign or D world to literally come and speak to you <laughs> so but but yeah it definitely is interesting so within your world, there are probably going to be, obviously, if you have Grumsh, there will be worshippers of Grumsh. And what's really interesting, and I love this, I, I, I kind of like this aspect of Grumsh, is that as an orc, uh, if you're not like a cleric or some type of clergy of Grumsh, you are forbidden to speak his name. And so Grumsh is also known as One-Eye, referred to as One-Eye, or the One-Eyed God, he who never sleeps, he who watches. The most devout followers of he who never sleeps are a group known as the Fury of the Eye, and they are the most zealous and the most ruthless of the Orcish religious movement in the world. They actively seek to drive their tribes toward conquest and the annihilation of their enemies. So probably elves and dwarves and basically anybody else that's not oh, an yeah. orc. Uh, they seek to drive and conquest and annihilate their enemies. More moderate members of the Fury of the Eye seek to more pragmatically enslave their foes, uh, reasoning the weak exists to serve the strong. And I feel like that's a very, like, if an orc population is trying to dominate the world, trying to build stronger buildings, build stronger weapons, they're probably not going to waste their time with doing this. They're going to use the weak in order to do that. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And so the Fury of the Eye extends even further out the normal Orcish lands, but they're seen as more of a cult, and they tend to be uh, more accepted by other races because races that are further away from Orcish lands know less about Grumpsh and about what goes on in that cult. And so they're known as the eyes and ears of the cult to see what's going on in that world. Because they're accepted by other races, given time, they may actually grow to treat mixed race groups, such as adventuring bands. With they'll they'll treat them with the same type of devotion they would show to their orcish tribe. And so, because they don't have a lot of orcs around, they may find an adventuring group who is really strong or something like that, and they'll see like, oh, these guys are strong. Maybe we can begin to dominate things because these groups are strong. And uh, so they'll walk around with a group who they see as equally strong as the tribes that they've come to. And so that's really interesting. If you're outside of the land, you might see this fury of the eye cult popping up, walking around with a group of 
or maybe maybe the Fury of the of the Eye is like a guild within a city who yeah. knows nothing about Grumps. It's just called Fury of the Eye. Uh, they know nothing about it, but inside of that guild, it looks all nice and you know orderly inside, but secretly it's like this cult to to Grumps that's doing all sorts of crazy stuff in the in the city. So I think that could be really interesting to add in. I really love, and I didn't know this about Grumps or his worshippers. I love the whole: if you're not a cleric or an adept of Grumps, then you are forbidden to speak his name yeah. in orc culture. I really like that. Um, so they have to call him One Eye or the the One Eyed God, and partially makes me want to play an orc that yeah <laughs> like that worships grumsh and have to always call him that and when people ask me the name of the god be like i, I can't say the name yeah. of the god i'm not who do you follow yeah i follow one eye well who's one eye the one who never sleeps and i imagine if you break that rule in or culture there's some sort of standard or yeah. not standard but like or, or you just, just live in fear punishment. that somebody heard you or you just live in fear that grumsh could strike you down at any time so it's like this weird like it's basically a fear culture that's being created for these orcs, and that's yep. really interesting. Like a fear and a—it's like a fear and submission to authority type yep. culture where you have to work your way up in order to be in order to say Grumsh. Yeah, don't only not take Grumsh's name in vain, but don't you don't dare s- even say even Grumsh's name. Even if you name. say it and you're yeah. lower in the food chain, you are taking it in vain. Like you need to have of, the credentials to be able to say yeah. the the great name of Grumsh out loud. Yeah. And so the the clergy are usually the people that are allowed to say it, and and I like the description that's given for the clergy of Grumsh. It says uh, Grumsh's priests wear dark red vestments, war helms, and black plate mail. Their favored weapon is the spear. So these Sound guys are looking. just absolutely yeah, they're creepy and they're scary. I think in my mind they're more scary than they are creepy. Yeah. Like I see somebody walking in in black and red. Those are like those are war colors. The image man. of black plate mail. Oh yeah, and, and a war helm. You like, think like you think when you see intimidating, black, it's intimidating. intimidating look, man. Yeah, yeah. Grumps' holy day is the new moon, and he is worshipped in orcish layers on the new moon. A sacrifice of blood is made to him monthly on the new moon. <laughs> Once again, going back to non-evil Grumps followers, uh-huh, like, uh, uh-huh. you're obviously uh, not doing we, this. What do we do here? <laughs> uh, initiation to the fury of the eye may include acts of sacrifice to one eye, or the enslavement of particularly hated foes of the orcs. One extreme rite involves voluntarily impalement with a spear, symbolic of Grumptious suffering at the hands Ugh. of rival gods. Yeah. If the initiate <laughs> survives, if the initiate survives this impalement for a day or more, good Gandhi, you have yeah. to stay impaled for a day. Oh. I'm just uh, like, are they just walking around town like yeah. with a spear like coming out of their chest? Just like you oh. turn too Can quick. Can I get a nail? You turn too quick and hit it on a door frame. It's like, oh. Inside. It's like you walk into a restaurant. They're just like, would you like to sit at the bar? Or would you like a booth? Uh, I'll just stand here. I have this this spear yeah. coming out of my chest, like, so I can't like really sit in an anywhere. Orcish society know this is going on. They're like, oh, how you doing, man? They like walk. Yeah, I don't think like they so are. I don't like, think they are. I think they probably grab the pole oh, and yeah, shake it. Like shaking around, pulling it back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds so awful. So if they if the initiate survives this impalement for a day or more. They are tentatively accepted into the fold. 
tentatively. Like, what else do you have to <laughs> do on, at man. that point? Uh, cultists are called upon to continually prove their devotion through various means. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> All right, Billy. Okay, but this 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 is such good lore that I oh, yeah. I want to play. Yeah, a follower of Grumunch, uh, a Grumunch, Grumunch, <laughs> Grumsh, trying to get into this. <laughs> order because this is fantastic yeah uh smaller orcish tribes often raid nearby villages and harass those who intrude into lands they believe are rightfully theirs Uh, elf and dwarf settlements are likely targets but many non-orcs are considered fair game so there are some some common oaths that people will say when they're pledging their allegiance to grumsh uh which is interesting that the first one is grumsh sees only victory so i would imagine that that is reserved for the clergy to say grumsh sees only victory yep and blood for the one eye uh, by his bloody spear many things like that are these are just great catchphrases if you want to play an orc who oh. follows grumsh and imagine <laughs> imagine if like you are playing a dwarf and all of a sudden you hear hundreds of yeah. Of thousands of them saying beating Blood their for shields the yep. <laughs> and for his bloody spirit like things like that chanting that out just intimidating and so there's many myths and legends that go along with grumsh and one in particular is the story of how grumsh lost his eye yep i like uh, this one we yes. talked a little bit about we, it we when, we, when we covered krillin yeah uh in the past in the way grumsh was from the very beginning is grumsh had two eyes but he lost one in a fight with the chief elven god Corellan lorathian myths say that grumsh had become Come enraged when he saw the newly formed bodies of the elves, viewing them as an abomination, like he would. Uh, accordingly, he gathered like-minded deities into an army meant to crush the Seldarine and their own allies. Grumsh meant to paralyze Corellin with his magic spear. This attack failed and initiated an epic battle. During the course of this battle, Grumsh injured Corellin, and according to the legend, from the blood shed by Corellin, the elven people were brought to life, while the blood shed by Grumsh was used to create the orcs. Corellin ended the fight by putting out Grumsh's left eye, which is how Grumsh earned his moniker, One Eye. Some Orcish clerics deny this tale, dismissing it as an elven propaganda and claim that Grumsh always had one eye. Uh, I, I guess maybe that's where the maybe whole Cyclops, where the Cyclops image comes from. In, yeah. Still don't like those I images. I like the but... idea that it's like the orcs hate the elves so yeah. much. That they well, yeah, that no, elven no orc, especially an orc that's going to say something like Grumsh only sees victory is not going to really like a story in which Grumsh was defeated mm-hmm. and had his eye plucked out. Yeah. And so I guess that is where maybe they could say, oh, Grumsh only has one eye, and that's why they picture him as a Cyclops orc. I don't know, but Mixed, I still don't I still don't it. like it. Yeah. I still don't like that art, yeah. but but it makes a little bit more sense to me now. Yeah. So there's a couple relics of Grumsh that we wanted to mention. The first is called the Spear of Retribution, and I find this this relic to be pretty fantastic with everything that we've just previously talked about with the initiation into becoming a cleric of Grumsh. And so this spear is once in a great while, Grumsh will fling a spear at a cleric that he's annoyed with. And so if that cleric uh, then atones for his transgressions, he gets to keep the spear and it becomes like their weapon and it becomes a weapon in which they're able to throw it at enemies who have previously done damage to them. Once again, that whole like Grumsh threw it at somebody who annoyed them. You throw it at people who annoy you. 
and it will return to your hand. So it's a returning weapon that returns to your hands nice. when you throw it. But I just find it so funny that whole. Uh, it's a the only way that a cleric would ever get this weapon is by first of all annoying Grumsh <laughs> and then having to atone for the, his transgressions. And I wonder. I'm like, so does that mean that like I don't think Grumsh is gonna miss even with one eye. Does that mean nah. that there's there's another orc that's walking around with a spear in his chest, <laughs> like trying to atone? Like, what does that mean? But it's pretty fantastic. I like that a lot. I, I like that. Another one of the relics that is one of Grumsh's relics is the shield of the severed hand. Uh, and this shield's provenance is unrecorded, but it is named for the gory, dripping hand emblazoned upon it. The shield of the severed hand is a is a is an empowered shield, so it would give you better stats to your defense. Uh, and it gives its wielder a free bull rush attempt. So basically what that means is when the shield is struck in melee by an opponent, when the foe ends up hitting the shield, you get to make an immediate bull rush attempt. And even even if it's not your turn, so somebody else swings at you, you hit them. And so when you get hit you, with the bull rush attempt, you're basically getting the attempt to push them back like 10 or 15 feet whenever you get hit. And you can follow the opponent who gets pushed back if you wish. So they get pushed back 10 feet. You can immediately move with them those 10 feet. I just uh, like the well. idea of the spear with a hand on it pushing people back the hand oh yeah like pushing yeah. people back in, in yeah. an attempt to yep. attack and them. so you can't fall prone during this attempt either so if you were to try that and you miss like sometimes if you do bull rush and miss you'll fall but in this case you cannot fall because it's an automatic thing that happens in order to get this relic you have to be a worshiper of grumsh a very devout follower of grumsh in order to get this uh, and so that's a pretty cool weapon to see somebody walking around uh with with a <laughs> with a gory with a sh- bloody a cool hand. bloody shield yeah. and a spear hanging out of their chest. <laughs> uh, yeah, stay away from that guy. <laughs> That's the majority of things that we have as far as information on Grumsh and what we like to do in the Divine Spotlight. What we like to do in the Divine Spotlight is give you a few adventure hooks that you can go on with your players that are centered around Grumsh. And so the first one that we have is you could infiltrate the clergy of Grumsh. Maybe you have. Uh, a half orc or maybe somehow you find a good orc within your world or you do like a non-orcish clergy who is really devote to grumsh and wants to do these human sacrifices or these blood sacrifices that uh, are called that you're called to do as a follower of grumsh on the new moon you get into the clergy of grumsh outfits uh, that they normally wear. So the black plate mail, you'll have to end up killing somebody. You're going to have imagine. to end up having a spear coming out of your chest. That's yeah. what you're going to have to yeah. do. Uh, and so you have to outfit yourself with what they normally wear to intercept a prisoner or infiltrate the clergy in some way, shape, or form to prevent that prisoner from either being enslaved or being killed. And so that could create a lot of interesting uh, things that could happen within a cult of the fury of the eye worshippers of grumsh like <laughs> all the of our advent- of the bad all of our adventure hooks <laughs> are totally like against grumsh yeah. which is okay yeah <laughs> but all right my uh the one that i thought of was the one-eyed killer and so i imagine this you're in a playing in a city campaign and uh, you find out from whether it's newspapers or wanted ads that there is a serial killer in this city and that they are going around and killing only elves, maybe dwarves too, but uh, killing elves around the city and taking out their right eye as their calling card. And so there's a worshiper of Grumsh 
that is going around and killing elves because, well, the the Corellon story and taking out their eye in retribution. And so as adventurers, you have to track down the killer or killers and stop him and him or her uh, from committing more murders. Mine is fairly similar to that, and I didn't realize that it was that similar when you were telling me yours because I was kind of listening, kind of not as I was coming up with <laughs> oh, mine. Oh, nice. Thanks. Uh, and so mine is called Punisher of Grumsh, and so maybe this is something that you could have as a player character where you are someone who wants to punish Grumsh for the cruelty he has bestowed upon the world. And so everywhere you go, whenever you see an orc, you are going to kill that orc and cut out its eye and string it on a necklace and wear it as a trophy of your accomplishment. So every time you go into a battle with an orc, they just see these eyeballs hanging on your neck and they might not know that they're orc ones. Uh, But maybe you kill one of their friends and like pluck its eye out and put it on the necklace and they're just like, oh my gosh, what is going (laughs) on with this dude? This dude's psycho. So that was the idea that I had for the adventure hook Punisher of Grimush. The next guy that we're going to talk about is one of my favorites, Bokob. And so Bokob was created by Gary Gygax for the world of Greyhawk in 1983. He's been around in, from first edition, and he was not in, he went all the way up into fourth edition and wasn't in fourth edition, uh, but he is back in fifth edition. He was replaced in fourth edition by Ion as the god of magic. Some of the titles that Bokob has are the Uncaring, the Lord of All Magics, the Archmage of the Gods, and a couple that I've added in for my own world is Father of the Seven, which we'll talk about, the Almighty Wizard of Beirul, and Walker of Plains. Uh, His power is greater. His alignment is true neutral, although in my world I've taken on a little bit. He has some neutral good tendencies. I made him a little bit nicer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, His portfolio consists of magic, arcane knowledge, balance, and foresight. His domains include magic, knowledge, mind, oracle, and trickery. As far as superiors, there are none. Nope. He (laughs) Bokob answers to no one. And so uh, as far as Bokob, when Bokob is, when you look up pictures of Bokob, he's normally portrayed as a middle-aged man with white hair who wears purple robes decorated with golden runes. He's described as carrying the very first staff of the Magi with him at all times. He has visited many alternative realities and planes unknown to the wisest of sages, places even the elder evils avoid. In addition, he knows every spell ever created and can travel to any time and dimension. Bokob's pretty cool. Let's just be awesome. Yeah, Bokob's pretty cool. Why would anybody not want to play a wizard? He is the possessor of the only magical library that contains a copy of every potion, every spell, and every magic item in existence. (laughs) That's pretty stinking awesome. Uh, Bokob rarely has any desire to interfere with events occurring upon the prime material plane. He is the least interested of the core deities, having no agenda to push, unlike others such as Weejas, Heronius, and Vecna. Uh, A couple things that I've added into my world of Atos is that Bokob is the creator of the seven arcane humans. We'll talk about them more, but Bastion Windsail, or if you listen to our story time, is one of the Mm -hmm. arcane humans. He also respects, as far as relationships, uh, he respects Pelor even when he strongly disagrees with him. He also shares a strong bond with Celestian and Bahamut. 
in my world, Bokob and Nerul also share an intense hatred because with the birth of the seven arcane humans who are pretty much immortal, Bokob found a way to cheat Nerul out of his power of death. And in my world, I also took on that Bokob actually appears as an old man with a long white beard, instead wearing a gray cloak with a purple tunic underneath. And along with his staff of the first magi, he carries an all-seeing ball of scrying with him at all times. He also has a familiar, uh, which is named Murloc. He is a giant owl, which also doubles as his mount. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he also, the Murloc, the giant owl that doubles as his mount, mount has a magical arcane eye in the middle of his forehead that Bokob can use to see out of wherever Murloc goes in the multiverse. Awesome. That's pretty cool. I like that. As far as dogma, uh, Bokob's dogma emphasizes neutrality above good, evil, law, or chaos and holds magic to be the most important thing that there is. Bokob teaches that magic is the most important force in all of the cosmos and the balance between law and chaos and between good and evil should be preserved. Magic, according to Bokabite, dogma is an energy source of finite extent and may eventually wane. Bokab promotes the research and creation of new spells and magical items under the theory that this increases the amount of magic available to everybody. So basically, uh, as far as Bokabite dogma goes, uh, magic can eventually be worn out, but the way that you preserve that well of magic in the universe uh, from being sustained and being refilled is by practicing magic and by creating magical items and things like that. If magic were to stop being, the more that magic is stopped being practiced, the more that it's going to start to leave the universe and finally just there won't be any magic. I wonder if it's like, you know, because if you create a new item or if you create magic, it's like, did Bokab already know it? Or did you create it? And all of a sudden, Bokob's like, oh, I felt a disturbance in the force. <laughs> now I know it. Right, I, I think Bokob knew it, man. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I think, I think it's all just like, oh, you found out about that spell that I already knew oh, about cool. thousands Congrat- of years before. Congratulations. <laughs> now I don't care anymore. <laughs> uh, in my world, I've also added that study, uh, as far as dogma, Uh, that study, question everything, never accept anything at face value, never put much faith in facts. Research, experimentation, and exploration is the only way things are learned. Lord Bokob also is one of the only deities that doesn't shun followers who question him. Instead, he encourages them to try and find justification for that reasoning. So he, I mean, he's all about you won't get a spear knowledge your and chest. Get, yeah knowledge yeah you're not going to annoy him by questioning things that he teaches he'd rather you try and question it and try and prove him wrong because he's bo cop and he's mm-hmm. just like bro mm-hmm. i don't care <laughs> you can try and prove me wrong okay um as far as scriptures there are three main scriptures of bokobite dogma and that is the uncaring will which is divided into five chapters and 25 subchapters this is the core text of bokob the uncaring's faith it is a collection of sermons and prophecies discussing the origins of the faith epistles from early members of the religion 
commands from Bokov himself, and obscure predictions of the future. There's also the Words of the Prophets, which is literally a collection of prophecies of all sorts, many of them of doubtful veracity. Acolytes of Bokov study them as much to learn divination's limitations as well as its successes. And then I think this is one of my favorite ones, which I totally want to add into uh, my campaign world, is the Rare Water. And it is considered a heresy by some Bokabites. The Rare Water claims that each spell cast forever diminishes the amount of magic in the multiverse. Those who trust this book therefore seek to use magic as little as possible. The mainstream Church of Bokob teaches that the use of and creation of magic actually replenishes the amount of magic available. So this is like the opposite where they're saying, yes, magic is a finite resource. But eventually, because we're using it so much, it's going to be gone. Using it is not replenishing the magic well. It is going to run dry. This is a water source that's going to eventually we will no longer have because we're using magic so much. You're going to have different denominations within the Church of Bokabite or yeah. Bokob. <laughs> they would they would not be just like going press the digitation. Yeah. A dove floats out of my hand. Like yeah, they right. would only use oh, magic man, at the most severe the moments. Yeah. Light. <laughs> yeah, all no, right. I'm going to light a torch, man, yeah, because right. no, no, I No, you idiot, put yeah. that light out. <laughs> I need to save my magic for yeah. when I'm like about to die and there's a 100 goblets right. coming at me right. and I need to use a fireball. Right. Like and maybe then I will try and figure something out right. else in that situation also. But yeah, it's a very interesting way. It's the exact opposite of what the, the regular church believes in that more the more magic you use, the more magic will be available in the universe. And they believe the more magic you use, the closer you're getting to the end of all magic. As far as worshippers, obviously, Bokob's worshippers include wizards, sorcerers, and sages. Bokob seems not to care whether he is worshipped at all or not. Uh, nevertheless, he receives devotion from oracles, sages, and seers, and many wizards and archmages consider him their patron. He is known in every single culture. The clergy of Bokob are described as echoing his detached stance on worldly affairs and instead look towards different pursuits such as magical research and the creation of magical items. It's the typical wizard you can yep. think of. Yep, just I'm about knowledge and leave I'm me too, alone. Like, I don't, don't care. Don't bother me with <laughs> yeah. your petty things. Yep. Yeah. I, it's, it's like that genius level intellect of like, guys, all your squabbling is like down here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm up here. <laughs> Yeah. I don't care what you're talking right, about. Right. And so members of Bokob's clergy are often multi-class clerics slash wizards or clerics slash sorcerers. Bokob clerics are usually neutral, though there is a small minority are chaotic neutral. Some are lawful neutral, neutral evil, or neutral good. The church does not actively encourage others to study magic, but neither does it discourage them as the church's primary concern is balance. In my world, I've also added in an order of paladins of Bokob because I thought it would be interesting to have paladins of Bokob. And so they're called the paladins, the order of Zul. And the order of Zul is only known, is the only known order of paladins who worship Bokob. It was founded and appropriately named by Zul Hemscore, who commonly is known as Zul Sword of the Magi. This order of paladins seeks out and collects magical artifacts in order to smite their 
enemies with. As far as temples, Bokob's temples are described as being fortified structures with vast libraries and are usually sited in urban locations. Bokob's temples are generally tall, round towers, wizards, obviously, Mm -hmm. Um, although the one in Greyhawk City is a pyramid. Some temples of Bokob are guarded by pious Templars who who combine arcane magic with martial training. Services performed by Bokob's temples include the identification of magical items and other divine spells. I imagine these places like the Jedi Temple with the library and things like that that are heavily guarded and like... You don't go in there because yeah. you know you're probably not going to make it out if you're going to try and steal something. <laughs> no, well that's a that's the thing. Like you're you break into a bank, you are going to have to roll f- to see if you can find traps. You try to steal stuff from a temple, the Bokob, like you know that there are magical traps around every oh, yeah. corner. And besides magical traps, there's probably like extra dimensional spaces. They've probably got some creatures trapped that are they're keeping safe in there. That if you let loose, are not only going to kill you, but like destroy the city <laughs> like i just imagine the the temple of boca being one of the most interesting places in many large cities and yeah. one of the most dangerous like a yeah. like a nuclear power plant is dangerous like in our world like the temple of boca could very well be a nuclear <laughs> power plant in a magical yeah, world just like be... we don't want to mess with that place <laughs> yeah yeah people don't want to live next to the temple of boca because <laughs> property values are yeah. really low <laughs> every day i wake up and i try i try and eat my food but it's sometimes it starts floating off and Man. Sometimes the sometimes the animals I kill come back to life yeah. just by living next to this temple. Man, I woke up with a third arm today. Yeah. What <laughs> exactly. the heck? <laughs> just like spell failure going off. Yeah, right, just like right. oh man, so crazy. <laughs> and then so as far as rituals for Bokob, Bokob is honored with magical research and experimentation with the burning of incense, the reading from books of arcane lore. Each creation of a new spell or magic item is celebrated usually once a year in the holiday known as Great Discovery. High-level followers of Boca make pilgrimages to other planes of existence. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty sweet. Prayers to Bokob utilize florid and elaborate language, signifying great eridation, labored formality, and a robust vocabulary. <laughs> Every single word in that sentence was a, a robust, robust vocabulary. vocabulary. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the holy days of Bokob are the celestial conjunctions, as many clerics of Bokob are astrologers. Profound conjunctions of the stars, moons, and wanderers are observed by the church with the uttering of prophecies and other various complex ceremonies. There's also the Great Discovery, which was previously mentioned, where they celebrate every year early in the year. This holiday honors the magical discoveries made in the previous year. Each five years, the holidays expanded to include testing for magical talent and expeditions to rediscover lost lore. And then finally, the last rite of the prophet. When a powerful cleric or other devotee of Bokab dies, a somber eulogy is held. In addition, some of the magical power is drained from the corpse to empower a magical item. Both That's kind of cool. creepy and cool yeah. at the same yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> but that, I mean, like, I imagine like having like these cool magical items that are like this is the last that we have mm-hmm. of 
And and that kind of makes me wonder, like, what do they do? Do they do worshippers like actually bury their dead, or do they like? I just imagine them then seeing that as they're passing on and burning the body, yeah, getting rid of the body, maybe even just like casting a spell that makes the body disappear, yeah. Um, <laughs> and now I just have this image of like them casting it to another plane, and there being one plane of existence where it's just like dead mages <laughs> yeah, just piled right. on just each other, mage mountain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like having items that are like this was. Uh, a staff that was infused with your master, like um, even us, yeah. if wizards have like masters, your master's yeah, like last that's cool. magical power. That'd be that's pretty cool. awesome. That's cool lore. As far as relics for Bokab, there is the Rod of Reversal, which is pretty awesome. It it looks like a large unbending steel chain, but it reflects spells that are cast upon its wielder. So whoever is holding this Rod of Reversal. No spell is going to be able to. I imagine there's like a if you want it to, like it's a like will it, save. Yeah, like right, you don't have right. to fight it if you don't want it. Like so, cure magic wouldn't just be like reflected. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, but cure like wounds, any yeah. spell that you don't want to be used on you, it just reflects back to the other person. Yeah, that's interesting. There's also Bokab's Blessed Book, which is a thousand-page tome that allows spells to be inscribed into it without the usual costs. Uh, so I would imagine that would be a highly coveted book oh, yeah. by wizards. Um, then there's the Tome of Ancient Lore, which was allegedly written by Bokab himself and stolen from his library of lore. It is said to contain every spell that will ever be conceived, uh, but the index is deliberately difficult to use and written on, in over a hundred different <laughs> languages. So, like almost like this blessing, this curse that you have yeah. this book because I like, feel like yeah. it's like yes, I have every single spell. I got past all how the, traps. the heck do I read this thing? <laughs> yeah, I got past all the traps in the temple because yeah. <laughs> I knew all of them, and now it's like crap. I don't know all yeah, of these. Yeah, I don't know how to read yeah. this book. Yeah. <laughs> like I know this book has a lot of stuff. Yep. I don't know how to read yep. it. There's also the razor bands of the Archmage, and it is a steel orb that rotates around the head uh, of the owner like an Iun stone, Chris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Screw your Iun stones. Um, and it can be ordered to attack an enemy. I just imagine this being like the uh, fantasy equivalent of a, like, and a droid that floats around your head and <laughs> right, just attacks things. Right. Uh, and then there's the sphere of time scrying, which is a blue hued crystal ball. It is used for scrying purposes, only it is able to be used to look into the past and the future while scrying. So it kind of breaks that time barrier down. Another one is Darvik's staff. Uh, it was owned by a very powerful wizard. And the story goes that Darvik disappeared on his 40th birthday on an expedition to other planes of existence. But his staff, which was carved from the thigh bone of a black dragon uh, and topped with an adamantine symbol of Bokab, is occasionally seen in the world. Finally, I said I'd talk a little bit about arcane humans. So in my world, I had Bokab create these humans called arcane humans. And it was in the age of first wonders, the majority of the council of Beirul, which was the good pantheon in my world, condemned Bokab for his uncaring attitude towards the mortals of Atos. And so many of the gods had become jealous that he had acquired such a large number of followers 
even though he never did anything for them. And so in an effort to appease the other gods, but mostly to be able to get back to his studies in peace, Bokob cast a spell on seven stars, changing them into seven males of humankind. They were, however, different from the rest of man in that they had a strong arcane spark inside of them. This spark gave them a natural talent for the arcane arts, and unless they were killed, everlasting life. He set the stars to awake at different times when they fall to earth and begin their lives. All of these arcane humans are called to seek out the betterment of mankind. These immortal beings with tremendous power and promise coming into the world at different times gave Bokob an excuse when he was condemned by the other gods as uncaring. So, Chris, you got to see a little of that in the Shemesh campaign mm-hmm. with, I mean, you guys found Bastion Winsailor yep. as a child, fallen as a star, yeah. like that, yep, yep. Yeah, so that was really cool to hear the lore behind how the arcane humans actually started. That's pretty cool. As far as adventure hooks for Bo Cobb, one of the adventure hooks that I thought of was, this would be, I think, a perfect place to have that bringing the magic of magic into D&D with planeswalkers. Bo Cobb and worshippers of Bo Cobb like to travel to different planes, and so the idea of having a planeswalker campaign with wizards who worship Bokob and are on this search of knowledge to go to all different kinds of planes of existence would be a perfect way to tie in Bokob into a campaign. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I think that would be really cool to to be able to go and visit different planes as a character in a world too, yeah. because you get to like you know the world, you know the material world fairly well, like you can see everything, but you've never seen things from other planes of existence, and that would be cool to be able to do. Uh, and so one of the one of the adventure hooks that I had is tied into one of the items that we talked about earlier. Uh, and so this quest is you're sent on a quest by a newly appointed king to figure out who assassinated the former king. Uh, hence why there's a newly appointed king. All possible avenues of figuring out what has happened have come to an end. And the only thing left to do has been given to you by a high wizard. Like you're given this one possible way to figure out who killed the old king. Uh, and you are told by this high wizard, and he even will take you there if you convince him uh, to find the sphere of time scrying and scry to the time when the king was murdered to view who was the one that killed the king. Oh, that, that's really cool. I uh, I imagine that it would be even cool if the, the high wizard had his own agenda going on yep. and wanted this. Maybe he killed the king, and oh, that's the reveal in that story is you finally get the sphere and you... You use it with the high wizard. He teaches you how to use it, and you watch as he kills the king, and he's just standing there cackling, and you need to kill this high wizard now. Because maybe way he more needed powerful. a little bit of help to get to... Maybe for whatever whatever reason, and that reason is up to you to figure out, because yep. I'm not coming up with something yep. around the spot, but maybe that's like why the adventurers are doing it, because he can't do it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And so the the last adventure hook that we have for you is the well of magic is running dry. And so, like I said, I really like that idea of the book of rare water, where uh, the more magic is used in the in the universe, the more that it runs dry. The amount of magic in the universe. And so, I thought it'd be really cool campaign if you played a campaign once again with a group of wizards and magic is starting to 
not work. It's like it's very spotty and you can't always use it. And so you could play a campaign with a group of very powerful wizards who are quested to go on a mission to find Bokob, the uncaring god who's always traveling to different planes and find out from Bokob why is the magic running out? What can we do, if anything, to make magic strong a strong force in the universe again maybe this is something that bokab doesn't know how to reverse either yeah like maybe this is the one thing that he's been working on for all of eternity to try and figure out maybe as the god of magic maybe what happens when you finally do that reveal at the end as dm is your characters find bokab and he's super old looking and sick looking and he's dying because magic is running out and so he's traveled to a plane that you find him on and he hasn't been able to travel back because he because the magic is leaving the universe he is dying himself or maybe he is the well and so Ooh, yeah. the way that he ages is by people using magic and he's Ooh, trying to I find like that. he's trying to find some and so way he's to at reverse. the point of death he's because yeah he's about to run out of time yeah he's about to run out of magic i like yeah. that a lot there yeah. you go yeah and the last god that we're going to talk about today is the god Obris. Uh, and Obris is a god that comes from the world of Panthea, and he is a god of beasts and druids in my world. Uh, and so he goes by many different names. Uh, his titles are Beastmaster, Lord of the Forest, the Many-Faced Gods, and Creator of Groves. He has his own plane of existence that he lives on called Orland, which is one large druid grove that he's created in this other plane. Uh, His power level is greater. His alignment is neutral good. His portfolio is beasts, forest, druids, uh, and groves. His domains are druidic magic and harmony, and his superior, well, there are none for Obris. These guys are all just superior. Yep. Uh, his description, what he looks like, uh, he Obris often prowls around the world of Panthea in many different forms, uh, but most times he prefers to take the form of an elk and walk around the mountains and the fields of Panthea. Uh, the rumors say that in his normal form, he takes the appearance of a man clad in green and yellow, Uh, But he doesn't prefer to be in that form very often. He prefers to be uh, one with nature and walks around most times as an elk, uh, but can be seen other times as as, uh, other creatures. He likes many, if not all, of the good gods of the world, especially Bokab and Pelor. He resists interactions with any and all of the evil gods, but especially uh, Yuhar, who is the god of all of the evil beasts of the world, which is basically his counterpart in the world. It is not uncommon for either of them to taunt each other uh, when they see each other out in the wild. Uh, When they fight, many people have said that they have seen animals changing shape and fighting to gain an upper hand in their battles that they see. The place that Obris resides when he's not on the world of Panthea, he resides and spends most of his time in the realm of Orland. Uh, This is his grove that he has been tending for all the ages since the beginning of time. And it is said that if a druid of particular influence has done something worthy enough in the eyes of Obris, Obris will grace him with his presence in the form of an elk, speak to that druid and give him a ride to the plain of Orland. And so Obris is the only one that has access to the plain of Orland. And the only way you can get there is through a ride uh, from him to that plain. Druids often come back seeing trees or often come back speaking of the trees that they've seen in perfect form, fields without sickness and beauty beyond compare. Basically nature the way it was always intended to be. 
Uh, and so they see more animals than they could ever have possibly seen because this is where animals go when they die. Essentially, they go to this this grove. All of the all of the good aligned animals. All dogs go to heaven. All dogs go to Orland <laughs> is what happens. Uh, and so this is where all of the animals go when they die. Uh, and so people will come back and say, "I saw these creatures I've never seen before." And it's because they're probably all extinct and walking around. The dodo birds up there. Yeah, the dodo birds are up in Oregon now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so Obris, his his dogma is one of being a very diligent worker. This is something that is stressed by his followers. Uh, They stress a a strong dedication to the druidic arts. Uh, He constantly expects growth from his pupils because where there is growth in them, there is growth in nature and the world will become a better place through the form of groves being sprung up and healthy animals because these druids are working so hard to be diligent uh, in their craft. And so he does not tread lightly when it comes to the negligent abuse of animals. Uh, He does understand the need for sustenance, even though it pains him. But wrongful abuse or killing of animals for sport is highly frowned upon by Obris. Unfortunate accidents tend to happen to those who abuse their powers over nature. Uh, And that takes the form of many different things. A random animal may come and attack a person that's hunting a wild animal out in the out in the forest and it might just be obris who is doing the attacking because he can't stand uh, animals being harmed for no reason so worshipers are druids who find themselves good or neutral aligned uh, and they learn from his holy text and generally follow his teachings to the best of his of their abilities as far as clergy many clergy don the green and yellow garments that are said to be worn by obris in his human form they also use a fallen elk's antler as their walking sticks. Okay, so you already said that uh, Obris doesn't like really hunting, but he understands when people do have to hunt for food and such. What if a follow of Obris needs to hunt and they come across an elk? Is this is it like a sacred? Do elks, not kill elks an elk. Are seen as kind of the sacred animal in so this world. So don't kill an elk. So yeah, don't kill an elk. He doesn't like the fact that elves elks are killed. But it's weird that many of the clergy walk around with elk's antlers as their walking sticks. And I'll explain that uh, in a little bit. It has to be from one that has passed away because of old age. It can't be one that was hunted down and killed. The followers of Obris follow a couple, uh, follow one specific holy day in particular. And this is called the Day of the Grove. And this is a day that many druids adhere to if possible. It is a yearly gathering of as many druids as can be found. Uh, before this day, the clergy of Obris will gather and determine a meeting location. They will let druids know that visit their groves uh, and know where they will meet and on what day. While the meeting is going on, a grove will be created by all of the druids that gather together. And then at the end, the clergy of druids will gather together and choose a new clergy member to watch over this grove in the name of Obris. And so the temples are then groves. He doesn't have any temples inside the city. They're just simply groves. The temples are within the groves. And they're scattered throughout the land of Panthea. These are nursery for new plants and for old plants. Uh, They're for new animals and old animals. They're for injured and sick and a place for the rest for weary druids on any journey that they find themselves traveling on. These are are the veterinarians of your world. Basically, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, They also have this ritual that's called the cleansing and so if ever they wrongfully harm an animal or accidentally harm an animal, it is said that the druid must offer something to the animal that it is harmed as a peace offering between them and Obris. Like, I haven't thought through whether or not if you step on, like, a snake or something, if you have to pay that back. But, like, <laughs> uh, it's like if you – if like, one way that you could do this cleansing is say you accidentally, like – 
say you're you're trying to fight against this enemy that's doing na- harm to nature and you accidentally harm a bear that's in the way or something because some sort of magic misses. One of the ways that you could cleanse yourself and become right with Obris again is by healing that bear back to health. And so it's some way of bringing the right back to the nature or back to nature the way it was supposed to be. Another one of the rituals is called the passage of the elk and this is for any clergy member that is chosen by the old clergy to take over one of the new groves. And for this this chosen clergy member, uh, he gets a year. It's a year-long journey that he must go on to gather and find an antler of the elk that passes away from old age to use as the clergy's walking stick. If they receive one either before or right on time, the day of the next uh, grove creation, they can return back and watch over and tend the grove. If not, at the next yearly meeting, they will choose a new clergy member for last year's grove. And then the cycle continues until that clergy member finds a walking stick that can be made from the antler of an elk. And some of the legends, there's some legends that I have of Obris, uh, and this is called the first battle. And this battle was a battle to decide who ruled over the animals, uh, whether the good aligned animals or the bad aligned animals. Both, uh, I should say this, both Obris and Yuhar wanted to rule over the good animals. And so Obris and Yuhar had a battle to decide who ruled the good animals of Panthea. Obris and Yuhar battled, changing shape and battled for and b- battling for their advantage. It was said that eventually Obris wore Yuhar down to the point where he could no longer battle. He retreated into the sea in the form of a sea serpent and has never been seen on land again by human eyes. Uh, this is why many ships that set sail do not sail far from the land because they fear uh, the sea serpent god, which so is, is this Yuhar. the god of the seas in your world? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, makes sense. Yep. Yuhar is, yeah, yep. And so uh, that is the lore that I have behind Obris, the first battle. I just, I'm just thinking about Rich Howard right now, just like shaking his fist and being like, and imagining this this guy losing a battle and retreating <laughs> to the sea and be like, he got the better end of the deal. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> oh man! And so there's a couple of relics that I want to share with you uh, that belong to Obris or some of his followers, and the first one is called the Elkin Horn. This is the walking stick that is said to be used. By Obris as he walks in his humanoid form, and that's why he likes to take the form of an elk. Uh, it is said to be given to the strongest druids throughout the land when they meet Obris for the first time. This is why many of the clergy of Obris also walk around with an elk and horn. It's not necessarily the one from Obris himself, but it's one that uh, they form in the likeness of Obris's. The next one are called Seeds of Life, and these seeds are given to only those found worthy and responsible in the eyes of Obris. Uh, And so he gives these to the most powerful druids to create either uh, a tree or a flower or a creature in whatever form they can imagine, and and it will inevitably bring beauty and betterment to the world. And so those are two of the relics that uh, are given out by Obris. And so some adventure hooks for Obris are um, you are whisked, whisked away on the back of an elk, quote unquote, to the plan of or- to the plain of Orland. You are you entered in and you enter into the most beautiful plain you have ever seen. Uh, and so then you come back and you have like you as a druid would already be basically at the height of your druidic powers. But then you you see what a grove is supposed to look like perfectly. You seek you see what nature is supposed to look like in its perfection and you strive to do that even more in the in the land of Panthea. The next one is you are selected as the next clergy of the newest grove and you are to go on an adventure to witness an elk die of old age and take its horn for your own as your walking stick. 
And so that could be an interesting uh, adventure in and of itself to try and find an elk. And maybe you find an elk and you just follow it around for a year and hope that it <laughs> dies or something. I don't know. Um, but it can't be one that was hunted down or killed in any way. But eventually you see somebody shoot it with an arrow. That's how so, it no, does. Come on, man. <laughs> ah, dang it. Well, I guess I don't have to follow this thing around anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the third one is you can partake in the day of the creation of a grove and get the opportunity to shape and mold the land around you into a newly formed grove. And so then it would involve partaking in the celebrations at night and shaping wood and uh, the field into whatever the grove is said to look like. So those are three of the adventure hooks that I had for Obris. That is the god of druids in the land of Panthea. Awesome. Well, that's all that we have for you as far as gods of the in our Divine Spotlight episode today. We hope that you've enjoyed our deep look at the gods Grumsh, Bokob, and Obris. We hope that you enjoyed all of our adventure hooks, all the information we could give you on all of these gods. And uh, if you have any stories that you would like to share with us about those, we would love to hear them. If you would like to share those, you can send us an email at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Send us all of your stories about how you've incorporated uh, any of these gods or any of the gods that we've talked about in the past. Uh, Also send us a five-star review on iTunes. It helps us uh, get out in front of more people and helps the block party become even larger. Or on Stitcher, Chris. Or you can find (laughs) us on Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. You can like our Facebook page. Both of those places have awesome dungeon mastering news and news about our show and sometimes just insights on what our next episode's going to be about before it even comes out. So once again, thank you for joining us this week on the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we talk about the most important person in the game, the Dungeon Master. The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the other players at the table. Have a good night, everyone. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.